All right. So we're going to get rolling this morning. Uh, I'm not going to do any more announcements because we need to get through some of this stuff. Because we're going to be talking about heaven today. And uh, <laughs> Andy's ready to go. Like right now. Yeah. I'm in heaven. All right. So we're going to talk about that this morning. Um, next week we're going to be talking about hell. So it'll be a great time to invite some guests. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Invite some guests. We're talking about. They are. They really are. I'm telling you, it could be a great opportunity. You could say, because there's a lot of people that don't even believe in hell. So if you get in conversations, you're like, hey, so uh, next week at church, we're going to be talking about hell. Want to come? <laughs> Just want to make sure you're not going there. You want to come? All right. So any of that would be great. I'm sure it'll work. All right. If not, I'll get some laughs. But anyway, uh, we're going to be talking about these two things. I, I love this kind of stuff. Um, it's very intriguing to me. Um, but it really helps me just when it comes to my overall perspective of the Bible and uh, just understanding things. Because there's a lot of people that believe that heaven and hell just are not real. Um, and what the Bible says is very, very interesting. So we're going to be talking about that this morning. But before we do, let's go ahead and pray. And I'll get a volunteer that would like to pray to the Lord on behalf of the class. Go for it. Thanks. Dearly Father, uh, thank you for this day, Lord. Um, thank you that we all got uh, to church safely, Lord. Thank you for the good turnout today, Lord. Um, I pray that you give Stephen words to speak and all of us ears to hear um, as we're talking about heaven, Lord, uh, your kingdom. Um, I also pray that we all have soft hearts, Lord. If anybody's not saved in this room, that uh, you may just uh, pierce their heart and uh, that they might get saved. Lord, I uh, just want to thank you that the guys' Bible study went well. I hope that the girls did too on Friday. And uh, please help winter camp to go well and that you give Eddie words to speak and that um, you would speak through him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So when it comes to the topic of heaven, um, there's lots of things that we could talk about. There's a lot of different directions that we could go. Um, but I decided to go from this perspective because when I think about heaven, there's really three things that I think about from the Bible's perspective. Um, I think about paradise. In the Bible, the term paradise is used. Uh, it also talks about Abraham's bosom, which we're going to talk about that as well. Um, and we're going to talk about the third heaven and kind of where that is and what that's all about. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the new heaven and the new earth. So when I think about heaven, those are the three things to really encompass everything. When we talk about heaven like right now, we're talking about the third heaven. That's what we're talking about. But there's a lot of people that, are, that have some misconceptions about Old Testament saints that had died. Um, I know when I was little, I thought that like when David died, that he went straight to heaven, the third heaven. And I didn't understand that there is this place called Abraham's bosom that they went and what, was, what that all was about. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. And then at some point, um, the new heaven and the new earth are going to show up because God's going to be done with how things are now. And he's going to recreate everything and it's going to be different in the future. So I wanted to talk about all that this morning. And uh, so we'll have plenty to talk about. So as we have in weeks past, if you have any questions or there's things that pop into your head that are related to the lesson, I guess I'll qualify that. Please share, ask that question, and then we'll try to cover some of that stuff. I want to make sure all this stuff is crystal clear. All right, so first of all, let's open up our Bibles to Luke 23, and then we're going to go to Job. So go to Luke 23, Luke 23, and then we're going to go to Job 33. So let's go to Luke 23. And all the stuff we're going to be talking about, we're talking about this at a very, very high level. I mean, there's so many details that we could be diving into. You could talk about heaven for a long, long time. The Bible has a lot to say about it. And there's a lot to say about hell as well. So we're going to be just doing a very quick overview over the next couple of weeks about these two topics. All right, Luke 23. Someone read verse 43. 23, 43. Go ahead, Sam. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Alright, so what's going on here? What's the context? <laughs> yep, Jack. Uh, Jesus is dying. Yep. And the guy was also dying. Yep. 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 Yep, you got it. <laughs> Leo's like chuckling the entire time Jack is even speaking. Yeah, exactly. All right, so so you have Jesus dying, and you have the thief on the cross on the one side, the other thief on the other side. And so they're both mocking Jesus. Remember that? 
And now there comes a point here where the one decides to repent, have a change of heart, change of mind, change of attitude, and rebukes the other thief and says, you shouldn't do that. This man didn't do anything wrong. And so then he says in verse, uh, like in, in verse 41, he says this to the thief, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Now, he didn't say heaven. He said paradise. He said he's going to be with him in paradise that day. Now, in the Bible, when you look up the term paradise, um, it actually is more of where God is, God's presence is. Because it even talks about in the future when God recreates everything again with the new heaven and new earth. is also called the paradise of God. So wherever God is, his abode, where he dwells, it's also called paradise as well. But here, he does not say that he's going to go to heaven. He says he's going to go to paradise. So we're going to talk about that. And this is before Jesus Christ died and before he was buried and before he was resurrected. That's very important. Go to Job 33. I want you to see this. Job 33. This is a really interesting passage. Job 33. Job 33. All right, so this is obviously before the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as well. But in Job 33, God gives us a little window into how men were justified with God um, before the death of Christ. And this whole process that we're going to see through these verses existed all the way up until the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. After that happened, things changed a little bit, and we'll explain that in a little bit. All right, so Job 33, and take a look at verse 27. All right, so he, that's God there, looketh upon men, and if any say, I have sinned, and perverted that which was right, and it profited me not, he, God, will deliver his soul from going into the pit, and his life shall see the light. Lo, all these things worketh God oftentimes with man, to bring back his soul from the pit, to be enlightened with the light of the living. Okay, this is very important, all right? So in the Old Testament, if you've ever read through the Old Testament, read parts of the Old Testament, it talks about when you die, you go down to the pit, to the grave, right? You ever read that before? This is what it's talking about here. And it says that if anyone says, I have sinned, this is no different than when you actually get saved. When you come to the point where you recognize, God, you're right, I'm wrong. I've sinned and I know that I deserve to go to hell. It says, if any have sinned, and perverted that which is right, and probably not, he, God, will deliver his soul from going into the pit. So in the Old Testament, if someone came to that knowledge where they understood they were a sinner and they needed God to save them, and they were willing to humble themselves and acknowledge that, they did not go to hell. That's what it says. This is interesting. So where did they go? Where did they go? Go to Luke 16. Luke 16. Should hold you. Had you hold your spot in Luke. My bad. Luke 16. So this leads into our first point here. Prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the saints of God that died were carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. And we get that phrase here from Luke chapter 16. So start off in verse 19. We're going to read the whole thing here, 19 through 31. So God gives a little window here into what happens after people die before the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores, and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. And the rich man died, also died, and was buried. And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom, And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot 
neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou wouldest send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Abraham saith unto him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, Nay, Father Abraham, but if one went to them from the dead, they will repent. And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. This is amazing. So what you end up finding here is that prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, you had Lazarus, who was righteous before God, because he followed Job 33 and recognized that he had sinned and and he needed God to save him. He was carried by angels to Abraham's bosom. Same time, rich man dies. He's not carried by angels. He's buried and he finds himself in hell. And they can see each other. So this is completely different. This is not the third heaven because where's the third heaven? We're going to get to that in a little bit, but where's the third heaven? Follow the North Star far enough? Boom, you're going to hit the third heaven. Where's hell in the Bible? Center of the earth. earth. We're going to talk about that next week. Those are not in the same place, right? Two completely different places. The third heaven is called the north in the Bible, and you have hell in the center of the earth. Completely. But here you have an event where both of them see one another. One is in Abraham's bosom, and the other one is in hell. So this picture that I have in your guys' study sheet is what I typically draw on the board, is that you have one side that's called paradise, and then you have this great gulf that's fixed between, and then you have hell on the other side, and this is in the center of the earth. So prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, people that were righteous with God, they received God's righteousness because they were willing to, to admit that they were a sinner that needed to be saved. When they died, angels carried them into paradise. And it's almost as if, I mean, think about this. I've never thought about it this way before until now, but it's like this. Every man deserves to go to hell. That's where they're going to go. But once they become right with God, God now interferes with that process and sends them to Abraham's bosom. That's kind of what happened. Because the other guy just died and he went to hell. Lazarus died and he was carried by angels to another place. So it's very interesting. Never thought about that quite like that. So here you have paradise on one side and you have hell on the other. And then you have the great gulf that's fixed in between. And so from the hell side of this compartment, I guess you could call it, you have this rich man who is able to speak with Abraham and Lazarus on the other side. And he is so tormented that he asked for Lazarus. He didn't ask Lazarus for anything while he was alive. Not one single thing, because he was rich, had need of nothing. Laodiceans, by the way, that's a great picture. Didn't have need of anything, and Lazarus was at his gate. If anything, he was an inconvenience to the rich man. Now, it's completely different. Lazarus finds himself in paradise, in comfort, and now the rich man is in hell. And the rich man is asking Lazarus, he, I just, just have him, just have him take his finger. I mean, what could, think about this. As far as the torment of being on fire constantly. Just have him dip the tip of his finger in water and let it drip onto my tongue to give me some comfort. That's pretty bad. That's a pretty bad place to be. But that's what he asks. And of course, Abraham says, we can't. There's a great gulf that's fixed. We can't pass. And there's no way we can make this happen. And so then this guy asks one more thing. He says, well, then please send someone to my father's house. I have five other family members. I don't want them to come here. And then what does Abraham say in verse 29? They have Moses and the prophets. What is that? They have the Bible. They have the word of God. Let them hear them. And he says, no, 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 no. If someone rose from the dead and went to their house to talk to him, then I know they will repent. But he says something interesting. No, no. If they're not willing to hear Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded though one rose from the dead. It's very important. It's very important. And that shows you the kind of power that God's word has. And you don't need to underestimate that. Don't ever underestimate that. You have all the power that you need in order to save people from going to hell. Right in the palm of your hands, literally, today. It doesn't have to take something supernatural or something crazy to unfold. It just needs someone faithful who has the Bible to go and share it with them. So this kind of gives you a little bit idea of Abraham's bosom compared to where hell is and how it's located in the center of the earth. All right, so let's take a look at letter B here. So through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he defeated sin and death to obtain the keys of hell and death. Take a look at this one. Go to Revelation 1. Revelation 1. So remember, Jesus said to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. So in Revelation 1, 
John speaking, and he says in verse 17, And when I saw him, when he saw Jesus, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. So when Jesus Christ died and he was buried, where did Jesus go? Yes, he went to Abraham's bosom. Because remember, does he have the righteousness of God? Absolutely, he's God himself. So when he died, he did not go to hell. There's a lot of people that believe that when Jesus died, he went to hell. He did not go to hell. He went to Abraham's bosom. But on his way to Abraham's bosom, he took something. He took something. And they are this. Verse 18, the keys of hell and of death. So if you want to look at it in a way, it's almost like that compartment you have in your guys' study sheet. It would almost be like this. I'll draw it anyway. I was not going to draw it, but we're going to do it anyway. All right. So you have, all right, and this is the bottomless pit. All right. And so then you have uh, paradise, and then you have hell. Okay. So in this compartment, you have the bottomless pit, which, by the way, why is the bottomless pit bottomless? Exactly. So if you were to say, like, this would be the center of the earth, bottomless pit, anything put in the bottomless pit would remain bottomless because as the earth is spinning, they're never hitting the side of the center of the earth. So it's bottomless. So it's constantly rotating. So anyway, that's just a side note. All right. So you have paradise. You have hell. You have the bottomless pit, also called the abyss. And then you have this thing, and I don't know exactly where it's at. This is just my guess because of how things work out in Revelation that there is a gate. And I don't know if there's a gate across the whole thing, but there's a gate that's got a little lock and it's able to be opened. Because we know in Revelation, there's a key to the bottomless pit where this probably is also gated off somehow, but this has the ability to open and things from the bottomless pit come out during the tribulation. So Jesus Christ, when he went to paradise, he was able to obtain something and he took it from the devil because the devil had the keys of hell and of death. And I don't have time to show you all that because we'd be here forever. This is what I'm talking about. There's so much stuff to talk about. But like in in, um, uh, Job 41, um, in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, especially Isaiah 14, it says that he opens opens not the house of his prisoners. I mean, there's places like that where the devil has a place, hell, where he keeps his prisoners. So technically, if you want to think about it this way, the devil has the rights to all of this. Because remember, back when we talked about Adam— who did, he ended up usurping Adam's authority. Remember that? And so Adam had the, uh, I guess, the, um, uh, the rulership of the entire earth. Well, when he usurped Adam's authority, this is part of what the devil received. He received the keys of hell and of death. And so you have here, any person that died, they went to this place. And this place belongs to the devil. So God interfered and took saints to paradise, but they were still in this place. But all this now belongs to the devil because he has the keys of hell and of death. This is why, for those of you that know your Bible, and we've talked about this before, but in Jude, in Jude, you have that weird verse in there that talks about Michael disputing with the devil about the body of Moses. You know that one? Okay. This is why this is an issue. Because Satan technically has the right to the body of Moses because he has the keys of hell and of death. Okay? All right. Side note aside. So Jesus Christ, when he died and he was buried, he went to paradise. But because he was God and he defeated sin and death, he took the keys of hell and of death. That's why in Revelation 1.18 it says, I have the keys of hell and of death. All right? On the same page? Any confusion? Good? All right. Good. All right. So Jesus Christ then took the saints in Abraham's bosom and escorted them to the third heaven where they await their resurrection after the final judgment. So because he has the keys of hell and of death, he went down, but he didn't stay dead. And in the process, he unlocked this and all the saints that were in paradise, Jesus escorted them up to the third heaven. And that's where they're at now. All right. Okay, all right, let me show you a few verses to show this, all right? Let's go to Matthew, Matthew 12, Matthew 12.
Can someone read verse 40? Matthew 12, verse 40. All right, Sam. All right, Sam, you already got it. Noah. Okay, that's where Jesus descended down into the heart of the earth, into paradise. So that's that verse for that one. As Jonas was three days and three nights, so the Son of Man shall be in the heart of the earth. Now go over to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. We're going to be doing some more Bible flipping today. Ephesians 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians 4. All right, Ephesians 4, verse 8. Wherefore, he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. So this is what I was talking about, whether he led captivity captive. Verse 9. Now he, now that he ascended, what is it but he that also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? He that is descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens that he might fill all things. So Jesus Christ was in the process when he went down into, into paradise, Abraham's bosom, and then he escorted all the Old Testament saints up to heaven. All right, let me show you one more verse, and then I'm going to show you John 20, because this is probably the greatest verse in the Old Testament that shows us. Go to Zechariah. Zechariah 9. Then after Zechariah 9, we're going to go to John 20. Zechariah tail end of the Old Testament. Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah. Zechariah 9. Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew. So you go Matthew, back two books, and you'll hit Zechariah. All right, Zechariah 9. All right, this is really cool. So I found this when I was just reading in, um, I was reading through the Bible last year and I was hitting the tail end of my reading plan and I was doing, it was doing like Old Testament, New Testament, you know? And so I was hitting this part of Zechariah and I read this and I'm like, shut up. And I'm like, I gotta write this down. This is amazing. All right, Zechariah 9, verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt upon a colt, the foal of an ass. All right, when did that happen? Triumphal entry. Yep. And in verse 10, it continues talking about Christ. And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace unto the heathen and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea and from the rivers even to the ends of the earth. Now, did that happen after the triumphal entry? No, not literally. Spiritually, it happened after he died and was buried and resurrected again. Spiritually, it happened, but physically, it's going to happen again at the second coming. Now, look at 11. This is our verse. As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, have I sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Now, some of you might be like, what? Okay. In the Old Testament, and if you remember this, um, back when um, Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, remember that? Because Joseph is a picture of Jesus Christ, right? They threw him in a pit, and there's a phrase, threw him in a pit where there is no water. It's very interesting. And what you find out is when Christ died and was buried, he went to Abraham's bosom, paradise. This is the pit where there is no water. I mean, that's also why the rich man was saying, hey, I want some water. Common sense. But here it says, because Jesus Christ died, buried, and resurrected, he had the ability to send forth thy prisoners out of the pit where there is no water. So this verse shows you that he was, he was going to take people from here up to the third heaven after he resurrected from the grave. All right? All right, now let me show you this. This is really cool. Go to John 20. John 20. This is one of my favorite passages. I love this. And I've explained this a couple of times in here, but it's so worth going through again. All right, so Jesus had died, and now he's buried. 
And now you have the first day of the week in chapter 20 where they come and they don't find the body of Jesus. And so then you have Peter and John, they run to the tomb and they also see that his body is not there. And so they don't know what's really going on. Well, Mary is with them at this point in time. So she goes back to the grave with them. And now she's really distressed because she has no idea where the body is. All right. So it says in verse 10, then the disciples went away again unto their own home. Verse 11. But Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and see two angels in white sitting, the one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? She said unto them, because they have taken away my Lord and I know not where they have laid him. All right. Hold on a second. So she is so out of her mind, like stressed out and distressed. So she's at the tomb. I mean, you got to picture this, like picture like this is like the tomb, right? And so you have the tomb here, and she looks in, and she's nothing there. And you have Peter, and you have John. They come in, they see there's nothing there. And they come out, and they're like, I don't know. And so then they leave. And then Mary is just standing without, and she doesn't know what to do. She has no idea what to do. Like, where's Jesus? Where's my Lord? Where is he at? Like, she loved him so much. She's like, where is he at? Two angels show up. And they're like, woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Okay, She's speaking with angels, like with angels. And she's so distressed that she has no idea that she's speaking to angels. She just thinks that they're just normal men because they've taken away my Lord. That's amazing. She's so out of her mind. She's so distressed that she doesn't even know and she doesn't even realize that she's speaking with angels. Verse 14. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if, th- if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. <laughs> yeah, right. You ever try to move a dead body? Heavy. Yeah, Andy would know. They're heavy, right? They're heavy. I mean, try to take someone who's just dead weight. Like, they're not even helping you out at all. And you try to haul them around. Have you ever done something like that? Yeah. Okay. If you haven't, let's give it a shot. Anyone want to try it? <laughs> it's very, it's very difficult. Okay. So this, this, this woman, Mary, she's so stressed out of her mind. She has no idea where Jesus' body is. She loves him so much. And now he's gone. And that's all she can think about. She doesn't realize she's even speaking to angels. Jesus shows up. She doesn't realize that it's Jesus. She thinks that he's the gardener. If you've taken him somewhere, just tell me where the body is and then I'll carry it away. She's not thinking right. But she is so consumed and so she's so full of care over this whole circumstance, she wants to find where Jesus is at. There's no way she'd be able to carry the body. Verse 16, Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself and saith unto him, Rabbi, which is to say master. So as soon as Jesus says her name, she knows it's him. And then verse 17, Jesus saith unto her, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father, but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my father and to your father and to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So this is fascinating. I love this. So she's so distressed. She's, she's out of her mind distressed. As soon as Jesus says, Mary, she turns and she realizes that it's him. And the first reaction is to do what? Hug him. I mean, she's so distressed about where is he at? Where's his body? gardener just tell me i'll take his body and i'll bury it again i'm I'm just and then she realizes he's risen from the dead and she loves him so much she's just she just wants to run run up and grab him and so she's about to go do that and he's like nah don't touch me why (laughs) i don't be touched by you no jesus says don't touch me because i've not yet ascended to my father so this means he was here He got the keys of hell and of death. He was in the process of ascending with the saints in paradise. And he literally stopped heaven and earth in order to care for Mary in her distress. Like, I picture it this way. I picture that Jesus down here, he's with Abraham, David, um, Samson, uh, you know, all these people that he's down there with. Ruth, Joshua, Esther, I mean, I think about, he's with all of them, and then he's taking them up to heaven, and he's like, hold on, guys. 
I got to take care of Mary. And they're just standing there. And they're invisible because no one can see them. And so they're watching this whole event. They're watching the whole event of Mary weeping in the garden, having no idea what to do. She needs answers. Jesus is like, hey, uh, you two, angels, yeah, go down and talk to her because she needs some help. So they go down, like, why are you crying? And she's like, "Uh." it's not doing anything. He's like, okay, all right, I'll take care of it. And so then he comes down and he says, Mary. And as soon as he says Mary, she's like, I love this about God, that he's willing to do stuff like this for us. That he's willing to take the time out of his super busy schedule of escorting Old Testament saints from Abraham's bosom to the third heaven in order to take care of us. This is the kind of God that we serve. I love this. And so he stops, says her name. He's like, hold on, just don't touch me. Don't touch me. I've got a job to do. I'll explain more later, (laughs) but you just can't touch me. I've not ascended, but go to my brethren. Go to your brethren and tell them what I've told you. I love that. I love that. So John 20 is a great window into that, and that's why he says, don't touch me because he's not ascended yet. So, and he's on his way to take him up to the third heaven. So let's talk about the third heaven. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I don't know, honestly. She may have died. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that it's quite possible that she could have died. Um, it's like in the Old Testament when some of the Levites touched the Ark of the Covenant when they weren't supposed to and they died. I think that he was trying to keep her from death. So that's just my opinion, but I can't really prove that. All right, so Second Corinthians 12. All right. So uh, verse 1, It is not expedient for me, doubtless the glory. I will come to visions and revelations. So Paul is speaking here of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ. He's speaking of himself. Above 14 years ago, whether in the body I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. How that he was caught up into paradise. See, there's paradise there. And heard unspeakable words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. So Paul was carried up into the third heaven. So that's where we get this concept of the third heaven. So um, this concept, which I don't have time to go through all of it like I did with Abraham's bosom. So you've got to look at some of these passages later. But prior to Genesis 1, 6 through 10, there was only one heaven. Genesis 1, 1, what, did, what does it say? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. A lot of new translations say heavens and the earth. That is not true. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth not heavens. He did not create heavens until Genesis 6 through 10. Genesis 6 through 10 is where God put the firmament in the midst of the waters and he separated the waters from the waters. All right. So look this up later and you can check it out, but this is kind of how it explains. When you read Genesis, it'll look something a little bit like this. All right. So let's do this. All right. Here is the earth. Okay. Here is God's throne. And I'm just going to do a square just because we don't have time to get it more particular. All right? All right? And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The mountain of God. Okay? So that's the mountain of God. Ezekiel 28, Lucifer had the ability to go up and down the mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. He was the anointed cherub that covered the throne of God, but he also had a throne upon the earth. And Lucifer was given dominion over the earth. Right? Remember all that? Okay. All right, if you don't remember all that, go back and listen to the other podcast. Okay. Once Lucifer fell into sin, Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, sin now existed. Now that sin exists, God has to do something drastic. He places judgment upon the earth and Lucifer's kingdom. And so what ends up happening is you have earth down here and God's throne is now here completely separated and the whole thing is now flooded the entire universe is now flooded with water okay all right so now you have genesis 1 1 in the beginning god created the heaven and the earth and the earth was out form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep and the spirit of god moved upon the face of the waters and as god was moving upon the face of the waters in verse number six, after he said, let there be light and all these other things, verse six, he says, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters. 
Firmament, which just means giant space. There's a firmament that now exists in the midst of the waters. Okay? And you have the waters which are above the firmament and the waters that are below the firmament. And then he brings all the waters together and the bringing together of all the waters he called seas. And so he split the firmament up and down. Okay? So now you've got all that. So what ends up happening at the very end, after he splits it, is that now you have a firmament that is here, or not a firmament, this is called the Sea of Glass, giant space, and there are also waters down here too. Okay? And so now you have the Earth, the universe, God's throne. Okay? All right, it's very oversimplified, very quick. You'd have to read through it later. All right. Now, because he's done this, there are a total of three heavens. There is here, the first heaven. And that is around the atmosphere. And that will be the first. And you got the second heaven, which is space, which they say is the final frontier. And then you have the sea of glass, and then you have the third heaven. So, prior to Genesis 1, 6 through 10, there was only one heaven. God's throne and the earth were in close proximity to one another. Sin came into the universe, bam, they were split, and now they're far apart, and God desires to bring them back again. But until that happens, there are now three heavens. Any questions? Did the strongers find the sea of glass, but they're not calling it that? I don't know. If they have, they won't ever admit it. Yeah, I have no idea. I have no idea. But they say that it's frozen. And so I've heard it said, too, that the reason why it looks like there's so many stars out in space is because the sea of glass is frozen. It could be reflecting of all the other stars that are there, making it look like there's more than what there actually is. I don't know. But it's possible. So, okay. All right. So we got that. All right. So when God creates the new heaven, recreates the new heaven and new earth, there will only be one heaven again. And that's what it says in Revelation 21.1. In fact, turn there. Go to Revelation 21. Based on everything I just explained, look at Revelation 21. All right, so I'm going to read verse 1. 21, boom. Go ahead, Carson. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Okay, and there's no more sea. So when God recreates everything again, he's going to bring it back full circle. So he's going to remove the sea of glass, and he's going to take this, the earth, and he's going to put them back in close proximity together. So the new heaven and new earth is going to kind of look like this again. With heaven, earth. And there's something a little bit different with the new heaven and new earth, which we'll talk about, but... Something like that, which we'll talk about at the end. Okay, so it's going to look like that again when God recreates everything. All right. So, let's see. Okay, so from Genesis 1-6 through Revelation 20-10, there are three heavens. And what's interesting about this is I have these cross-references, which you can look up later. But Genesis 6-16 is actually when Noah was building the ark. And God specifically told him to build the ark with three stories. Bottom, middle, top. In Amos... 9.6, it says that God has stories in the heavens. And those stories are the different levels of first heaven, second heaven, third heaven. God has three heavens, three stories in space. All right. So we already talked about the first heaven. We talked about the second heaven, the universe. And the third heaven is, is also called the north. If you look that up in the Bible, it's also referred to as the north or the sides of the north, and that's in Revelation 4, 1, and 2. And then you have the third heaven is where the Old Testament saints reside until they receive their new resurrected bodies, the resurrected or their new bodies, all right? Okay, so that's the third heaven. So it's pretty quick. I want to run through that one really fast. Good? Mass confusion. Yeah? (laughs) All right, are we good? Okay. All right, now let's talk about the new heaven and the new earth. Now, this one is going to be one we're going to have to run through as well because we don't have time to dive into all of this, but we're already in Revelation 21, so go ahead and stay there. We're going to be camping out a little bit in 21 and in 22. All right, so the new heaven and the new earth. So new Jerusalem 
is where all born-again Christians dwell in the mansions that Christ prepared beforehand. That's what he said in John 14. So Revelation 21, 9 through 23, speaks of, excuse me, speaks of New Jerusalem. And so this New Jerusalem is going to be where all born-again Christians dwell. And we're going to look at some of this. It says, the city is a great high mountain. Look at verse 10 of Revelation 21. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. So it is a great high mountain. It's made of pure gold, transparent. If you take gold and it's in its most pure form, gold will actually be transparent. So it's so clear. It's actually, it's so pure, it's clear. And so it's transparent. It's also shaped like a diamond. So this city is shaped like a diamond, which is why I put that diamond like that. So it's shaped like a diamond. And it says that God's throne is going to be in the midst of it. So it's shaped like a diamond. Take a look at verse 16. Verse 16. It says, And the city lieth four square, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with a reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal. So it has length, breadth, and height. And so it is in the shape of a triangle, but it says it's four square, which then makes it like a diamond shape once you measure it all out, which we don't have time to talk about this morning. And then it talks about how the walls of the city are 264 feet high in verse 17. The gates are made of a single pearl that stand 264 to 300 feet high. That's ridiculously high. And then check this out, the the length of the city. So it's 1,200 miles long by 1,200 miles wide by 1,200 miles high. And if you were to take that mass and cover it across the United States, it would be like traveling from Boston, Massachusetts to Miami to, to Denver to Buffalo. I don't know what it is. That should be NT. It should be NY. Yeah, there you go. Buffalo to Desmond. So if you were to travel from Boston to Miami to Denver to New York, that would kind of be the space it would take up on, on planet Earth. So that's a pretty big city. Massive. Massive. And so this means that if one room were 10 feet square, you could have 207 trillion rooms. If 100 million Christians died every year since Acts 2, every person could live in a house with at least 10 rooms, 10 feet square, made of solid, pure gold. It's pretty massive. I think that's pretty cool. All right, it also talks about how the tree of life is in the midst of the city, and it's for the healing of the nations. And those that keep God's commandments will be allowed to partake of the tree. So after the tribulation, after the great white throne judgment, there's still going to be people alive on planet Earth. And they'll have to travel to New Jerusalem in order to take part in the tree of life. And it's for the healing of the nations. Um, It talks about how the nations and kings of the new earth will walk therein and bring their honor and glory unto it. Look at verse 24. It says, And the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it, And the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it. And the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. And there shall in no wise enter in in anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. All right, so the nations and kings, they bring, they walk therein, and they bring their honor and glory unto it. Now, this is kind of cool. David rules as the king over Israel, and the nation of Israel is the earth's superpower that rules over all the other nations. So while God is in the midst of the city of New Jerusalem, and it doesn't say, by the way, it doesn't say that New Jerusalem is actually going to descend onto the earth. It just says it came out of heaven. And so... It could land on the earth, the Bible doesn't say, but if it doesn't, then it's going to hover around the earth almost like the moon does, because it doesn't say the moon's going to exist when God recreates the new heaven and the new earth. So this city that exists here, where God's throne is, where God exists, um, this is where we will dwell as well, but the nations of the earth will be able to come into the city and they bring their honor and glory unto it. But meanwhile, on the earth, Israel still is a nation. And they're the superpower that actually lives on the earth. And it says very specifically that David is going to be the king that rules over the nation of Israel. So take a look at this one. Go to Ezekiel. we got time to go to Ezekiel really quick. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. 
Ezekiel 30... We'll do 34. We'll do both of them. We'll do 34 and 37. We'll go to 34 first. Ezekiel 34, 23. Ezekiel 34, verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken it. Go to 37. 37. So in the future, God is going to restore Israel, and that's what this chapter is about. And it says in verse 22, And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them all. And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. And they all shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever, forever. So David is going to be the king over the nation of Israel for eternity future, for all of eternity future. So I think that's kind of cool. All right. So letter E, the new earth is the capital of the kingdom of heaven, which encompasses the entire universe. You can look up some of those verses later. And then letter F, since there will be no more sea that separates God from his creation, the new heaven and new earth will be engulfed in a heaven that is full of light. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And I've shared this before, but think about this. First John says, chapter 1 says, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So when you get to heaven... It's all light. But then you have a sea of glass that separates God from the rest of his creation. This is why the universe is black. When you go out and you look into space, there's a reason why. It's because God is here and there's a sea of glass that blocks God's light to be shown throughout the entire universe. When this is gone and it exists like this, there will be no need for the sun because God will be light and the entire universe will be bright white light. So why are we talking about these things? Because it's in the Bible, yes. <laughs> what kind of stuff does this do in you? For those of you that have heard this this morning, I mean, are you encouraged by this at all? What kind of stuff does this do in you? I mean, this is not just information. I could just give you this as information, but that's not the point. Why are we doing this? Why are we talking about heaven? Yeah. Yeah. Because all the stuff we talk about is pretty stinking fantastic, isn't it? I mean, unbelievable what God has done. What else has it done to you guys? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's stuff like this all over your Bible. When you compare scripture to scripture, you'll find all this stuff. And I'm not even exhausted. Like, there's so much more studying that I need to do on this. And like I just told you, I was just reading this past year, and I read in Zechariah Zechariah 9-11, and I'm like, there it is. And so when I read through the Bible, I'll find nuggets like that where I'm like, that's what God was talking about. Because I studied something about this over here, and then I'm reading over here. And then as you spend more time with the Bible, God begins to just bring everything together. And you can click, 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 click. And it's like a light bulb. And then you start to understand what he's talking about. And it shows you that the Bible is not an ordinary book. It is unbelievable. It's the most amazing book that I have ever, ever laid my eyes on. And we take it for granted so fast in our culture. We do not. We should not do that. What else? Anything else? Yeah, Bobby. What gives me a comfort that the Bible has pretty much the answers to everything, contrary to what the critics say. Mm-hmm. You know, even what's going to take. But like this detail, God doesn't have to put that in there, but he does. Yeah. You know, give us comfort. Yeah, absolutely. It does. Yeah, Jamie. It's really cool. It gives help because it's just cool that God has set apart born again Mm-hmm. And like it gives me hope because you read the story of David and what David's going to get in the eternity future and all the blessings that he's receiving amidst all of the idiot mistakes he made. Yeah. You know, it's just all about your walk with the Lord and how 
matter. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Jack. It helps with like random questions when we're talking to somebody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It does. Anybody else? Yeah. Right. Right. Exactly. And I think too many times, because here's the other reason why I wanted to cover this. We are so fixated on what we see in front of our face every single day that we don't remember stuff like this. And when you remember stuff like this, then you'll be thinking about things that really matter. Like when you die, like when you die, like I'm, I'm thinking right now, and I, I remember the first time this even happened to me, like when my cousin died when he, when he was 26 of cancer, I was in sixth grade when he died, that he is right here right now. Like he's there. And that if I die before God comes back and gets me, I'm going to be there. When the rapture happens, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there when God takes all of this and then does this. Like when it says in Revelation 20.10, like I did that on purpose. If you, if you go from Genesis 1.6 to Revelation 20.10, Revelation 20.10 says that when the final judgment happens, it says that the heaven and the earth fled away and there was found no place for them. How is God going to do that? It's almost like he's going to take this and go, all right, judgment, boom. And then after judgment's over, all right, I'll take everything and I'll just recreate it again. So all of that is going to be just shelved. It's going to be on fire, but it's going to be shelved, set aside. There's going to be found no place for them. The final judgment is going to exist where no one can hide in all of creation. All, every single person, man, woman, and, and boy and girl is going to stand before God, and they're going to give an account for their life. And then when God is done with all that, he's going to recreate the new heaven and the new earth. And then the other thing that I think about too, and this is going to get into next week, is that right now, people that I love that have died without Christ, they are right here in the center of the earth, in the midst of hell, awaiting final judgment. And when everything is recreated again, and we're going to talk about this, death and hell are cast into the lake of fire, and they will continue to be tormented in hell and the lake of fire with no way out here for all eternity. Meanwhile, I'm going to be here living in my mansion, glorifying God, and being dispatched to do different things throughout the universe as he wills, and doing whatever God wants me to do, while the people that I love and that I care for are dead eternally without Christ, being tortured and tormented in a lake of fire for all eternity. That helps me make good decisions on a daily basis. It helps me to see what really matters. Because this earth, this life is not all there is. People that live their entire life for this earth and this life and this timeline are fools. Don't be a fool. Be wise. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time that we spent together in your word. It is amazing to be able to take a look at your word and all the things that you've given us. And I pray, God, that we would not be foolish, but that we'd be wise. Thank you for being patient with us. And thank you for all the things that you've blessed us with, both now and in the future. And I pray, God, we'd be good stewards. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.